Good morning, everybody. So uh, glad to uh, be with you today as we are going to talk about and continue on in our foundations uh, course here on uh, Lesson 17, which is Biblical Femininity in Womanhood. Uh, was everyone here last week? Who was here last week? All right, about half. All right, so last week we talked about biblical masculinity and manhood. So, um, and even before that, there uh, was the lesson on the divine image of God and man. So those are two very, very helpful lessons to go along with this one. And then in the weeks to come, we'll build on this when we talk about gender roles in the home and gender roles in the church. So if you kind of want to go back and you can find those online, those are helpful lessons to listen to altogether uh, as you <clears throat> think through, as we think through this lesson together this morning. <clears throat> so let me pray for us and uh, we'll dive into it. Well, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful uh, that you are our creator. And Father, it is amazing to me that of all the creatures in your creation, you have chosen to display your image through man and woman together, Father, that somehow in some way, as we live out the call of Christ in a, in a redeemed way, Father, as we put our trust and faith in you for the forgiveness of sins, and you give us these new hearts and uh, build us into this new community of the body of Christ, Father, that somehow in some ways we live out this call of manhood, of womanhood, of walking with Christ and knowing Him more, making Him known more, that Your glory is displayed in unique ways for the heavenly powers to see it, for the creation to see it. And so, Lord, we need Your help. We need wisdom. We know that uh, there is an enemy. Uh, there is sin. There is Satan. There is our flesh that hates Your image, hates Your image, wants to see it defamed or distorted or not seen clearly. And so, God, we need the Holy Spirit's help to walk this out well, to encourage one another in this, to understand how to make sense of it from your word. And at the end of the day, to see it as beautiful and right and good because you are beautiful and right and good. So, God, give us wisdom and favor this morning uh, as we discuss this topic. And, Father, I pray that our church will be marked by um, a, just men and women pursuing Christ together. Uh, out of our manhood, out of our womanhood, in ways that bring you glory and honor and serve one another in the way that Christ has served us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. <clears throat> so a very key verse here. <coughs> Excuse me. To start our time is Genesis 1, verse 26. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. <coughs> So our world has high expectations for, for women, right? I'm sure many of us have seen that, felt that. Today's ideal woman is supposed to radiate both beauty and competence in many areas of life. You can look at her Instagram feed and you're supposed to see that she got the promotion, she can balance the budget, she can get her kids somehow to eat Brussels sprouts and veggies, she can run a marathon and all without smudging any of her makeup or mascara. Right, so women are told today that they can be whatever it is that they want to be and that they don't need traditional, outdated stereotypes of femininity to define them. And yet, at the same time, so many women in our culture feel trapped by these impossible and lofty expectations that are placed on them by the world in which we live. Right, this expectation that you've got to be successful in everything, have well-behaved and well-dressed kids, right? To be pretty, to have a life that is so put together it can be put on the cover of a magazine or featured in a blog post. So we should recognize as a church that women have not always been treated as deserving of equal worth and respect as men in our society have been. Such injustices still persist in some ways today. 
right? It's well reported that in the arena of work, for example, it's not uncommon that, that women would receive unequal wages even when they have comparable skills in the same exact role. If they request sometimes a more flexible schedule on the job to dedicate time to child rearing, they risk being seen as less ambitious and not receiving a promotion because of that. In our fallen world where abuse, neglect, and even human slavery afflict women and men, women tragically tend to suffer the disproportionate weight of these awful burdens. And so we've got exalted expectations on the one hand and then challenges and suffering on the other hand, right? So where can we go to think rightly about what it means to be a woman following the Lord? Where can men learn how to treat women? And well, as we've done before each week in this class, we're going to go to God's Word and pray that He can help show us and help us understand what a picture of biblical femininity and womanhood is and, and can be. All right, so kind of three points to, to point out to kind of help orient our thoughts here in the introduction that I think you have on your handout there is that we should recognize, I'm sorry, that women have far greater dignity and worth than the world ascribes to them. They are created in the image of God to display His glory throughout the universe. That's a pretty high call. Women have a far greater problem also than the world recognizes. Same problem that men have, the same problem we all have, the problem of sin and rebellion against God. But by God's grace, they also have a far greater Savior than the world offers, a sinless Savior who is radical in the way He befriended women and offered them life and fullness of life. And then thirdly, women have been given instruction by this Savior in His Word on ways to express their femininity in ways, again, that displays God's character and glory to the creation. So obviously, I am not a woman teaching on this topic, but by God's grace, I have a wonderful godly wife and also through conversations with other women to kind of help apply these things. Um, so my aim today is to present what God's Word has to say to us about the reality of femininity. Now, we're not going to be able to say everything that could be said on this and address every single topic, but I hope that there's enough of, of a foundation <clears throat> where we can have good conversations around this and know places to turn, passages to look at when we're wrestling with this, and even pictures of womanhood in Scripture. All right, so quickly, uh, for those that were not here last week or in the weeks before, we've been working off of, in this section around the doctrine of man, some foundational definitions. So last week, we introduced a couple. Number one was gender. When we use the word gender, we're talking about something very specific. So gender, when we use that word, we're talking about the profile of characteristics related to being male or female. Gender is an objective biological reality, as we're thinking about it here, that is based upon chromosomes and physiological expressions. So males have certain chromosomes and physical bodies, and females have certain chromosomes and physical bodies. So as we, stay in our, as we say in our statement of faith, gender is both a wonderful gift and an unchangeable part of God's design, and it does not exist apart from the God-appointed link with biological sex. So <clears throat> within that, now masculinity is the experience and expression of maleness. So when we talk about masculinity, we're talking about how maleness, being a biological male, is expressed or can be expressed. And femininity is the experience and expression of femaleness. <clears throat> so manhood is the maturity of masculinity, and womanhood we're viewing as the maturity of femininity. All right, so you've got gender, talking male and female, masculinity, the expression 
of being a male, femininity, the expression of being a female, and then manhood is a mature picture of that, and then womanhood is a mature picture of that as well. All right, so uh, as, as we think about kind of the broader uh, conversation around this amongst believers, um, I, I really don't love putting labels on different approaches sometimes because they can be so combative and oftentimes used in a negative way against each other. Um, but that said, I do think it's helpful for our sake, um, for the sake of shorthand really, to point out two of the most common approaches that make up a spectrum to this discussion in Scripture, uh, which believers from various camps will affirm and apply in some various ways. All right, so the first one is what's often referred to as complementarianism. Complementarianism. So within this view, in this spectrum, it affirms that God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth and designed them in his good design with distinct roles and responsibilities in the home, in our church, and in society. So we believe that they are rooted in God's design and creation and not rooted in sin or mere social customs, that complementarianism would say God actually designed it this way, and it's good and right, and it was even pre-fall. Egalitarianism would be the other side of that spectrum. So egalitarianism, we should say, also affirms God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth. So we, they affirm that just like someone would in the complementarian uh, kind of viewpoint. But the distinction is egalitarianism would say that those roles and responsibilities of men and women in the home and in the church and society are, are interchangeable. They're interchangeable roles. There's not much distinction that needs to be made there. And that it's the fall, actually, that corrupted God's good original design. And so the different uh, roles result from the fall rather than from God's ordering of creation. So that's a distinction there as you kind of hear these thoughts. And um, so we here at Delray Baptist Church, we believe that the complementarian approach is the most faithful to God's design as presented in Scripture. We're very open to conversations around that. If you guys have questions about that, we're very happy to discuss it. Um, but that being said, we acknowledge there's a lot of variance in how complementarianism is applied in the church and in the home and in society. And so we understand that when it comes to application of that, we want that to be an ongoing conversation as well. We'll talk about that some as we get into the lesson. All right, so I'm going to kind of keep teaching through this. And my hope is to end with, you know, a good chunk of time at the end for kind of questions at that time. So if you guys have clarifications at any point, um, please do raise your hand and speak up. Um, if not, as we go through it, maybe some of the questions will be answered. If not, I want to give time for questions to kind of build off of each other without being cut off. Yes, Anna. Um, when you talk about like femi or, um, maturity, females are like the maturity Womanhood, yep. Yeah, so, uh, and we'll talk about this as we get into it a little bit, but if you think about the idea of our life being hidden uh, with God in Christ. So basically, as a man and as a woman pursues Christ and grow in our maturity as believers, the more that we grow, the more that we're going to see that picture of manhood, if you're a male, that's like, hey, imitate that. Imitate that as this person's imitating Christ. And then even at maturity as a woman, like, oh, wow, that's, that's a good picture of womanhood in the Bible, a mature woman following the Lord. Yes? So, uh, in response to that, yeah. how would you be complementarian versus egalitarian? What is that? Yeah. If you are, if you subscribe to egalitarianism, yeah. and then as a woman, like, what does it mean to refer to yeah. womanhood? Yeah. Because I feel like then that perspective, however you fall on that spectrum, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would say it doesn't necessarily impact necessarily what you mean by feminine or masculine, but the distinction is is the roles and responsibilities. 
So like in the church, who can be an elder or pastor? In the home, who does the burden of leadership ultimately fall on in the home? And then even in society, is there a difference in the way that a man should be uh, you know, a, a leader in the army versus how a woman should be a leader in the army? Or should those look the exact same? So I think that's where the conversation really becomes um, the real, I think, um, distinctions come out in those conversations. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Great question. Great question. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, and, and in a good way. And that's where we'll talk about even how do we continue to try to apply this in our lives in this day and in the world that we live in. It's a great question. It's good. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Lord help us. All right, so um, as we get into it, we want to start with this in point C. So God is a good creator with wise designs. My hope is that we would really believe that and know that um, in our hearts and lives as we think about this, right? So as we approach this subject, the hope is that our hearts would be expectant to see God's good and wise design in and through it. Psalm 119 verse 68 says this, You are good and do good, talking about the Lord. Teach me your statutes. Meaning, Lord, give us wisdom here. We know that you're good. We know that if we ultimately want to see good happen in this, you need to guide us in this. And so truths from God that seem to go against and great against our culture or personal desires are not our enemies. We shouldn't view God's truths as our enemies, right? But we have to really believe, okay, Lord, these are good and wise gifts that you've given them for how you have made us. And so give us wisdom to know where it is that that our desires and our thinking needs to be corrected and where it actually is being affirmed through God's truth. And so we want to wrestle with this from Scripture. Because at its root, the issue is bigger than just what we think feels best, right? It's about what we think about God, who the Lord is. So we submit to these concepts of what it means to be male or female. Why? Because we ultimately are saying, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. I'm ultimately wanting to submit to you and how I think about this. So think about our motive and our posture. It's very important to think about that when we think about what does it look like for me to be a man or me to be a woman in this time and place. Ultimately, it's like, Lord, I, I want to do this for your glory and the good of others. And so the idea that I can do anything I want with my body is held up by our culture as freedom, right, as being empowered. And so for a woman, the culture would say, if you have complete control and are under no authority, then that's what's good. That's the goal. That's the vision. God gives us a much more beautiful, much more powerful picture than what the culture would, would say. It's actually a helpful illustration I thought that John, uh, John Piper gave about this, about two women who uh, jumped, off the, jumped off a plane to experience the joy of free-falling and skydiving. For those that love adventures and are thrill-seekers, for others this is terrifying, but stick with me for the purpose of the illustration. So two women jump off a plane, one has the parachute on, strapped in. The other one's like, I'm not going to be burdened by a parachute, I don't need that thing, get it off me, I want to be free, I want to be able to just be free as a bird out there floating in the sky. Well, these two people, right, when it comes to uh, their journeys, the one is going to feel like, yeah, I'm burdened, I'm free. That person with the parachute has no idea what they're doing. And yet we know that the end is very, very different, right? The one woman without a parachute cannot defy the laws of gravity. It's going to end really, really poorly. The woman who has the parachute on is going to get to enjoy the fullness of that journey in ways that she trusts those that are saying, this is how you free fall well. And so that's in a similar way how we want to think about Um, God's word and God's truths and promises in the expression of what it means to be a woman and to live out this call of the gospel in in the life of a woman. Yes, Brett. Uh, Just a quick question to the clouds. Do y'all want this on? Oh, the AC? Yeah. Are you guys good? Can you hear or is it too loud? Just a little loud. Off? Turn it off. Thanks, Brett. 
Good work. Yes, Anna. Yeah, I'll make a. Yeah, so we'll touch on it, and I'll say um, I'll make a quick comment though about um, the idea of unity in the midst of diversity. So unity in the midst of diversity. Here's what I mean by that. So even the word university means that there's unity in the midst of diversity. So we are un unified. We are one in Christ, right? But just like my wife and I, according to Scripture, we are a one flesh union. We are as one. But there's a distinctiveness within that that doesn't get erased. In fact, it actually gets redeemed. So when you think about us all being one in Christ, it's true. There's no distinction when it comes to value, when it comes to the way that the Lord sees us in His eyes. But part of the beauty of the spectrum of His glory is seen through men, women, um, black, white, Asian. And so we don't, those things don't get erased, right? But they're, they're put in their proper place to glorify God. Yeah, yeah, great question though. Yeah, great question, of course. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. Yes, Dave. Back off what you said, one thing I found really helpful. I've heard from John Piper once is that yeah. um, the idea in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where it says that, you know, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Yeah. It, it's, um, God created men and women to exemplify his glory. Amen. Um, and especially, you know, when we think of today's age where women are told that, you know, like what you described in the introduction, mm -hmm. Different goal. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that'll be a big point that we'll spend quite a bit of time highlighting. No, you didn't. That you added to the thunder. Because that's I think at the end of the day, if we don't take anything else away from this than that, praise God. This is ultimately about his glory. Amen. Right. Oh, you did something great. You spoke. It's, biblical truth is a great place to land. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That would be, that would be works of the flesh. Not fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you mind, just for the sake of time, do you mind if I, just for the sake of time, no, this is good stuff, so I just want to make sure we leave enough time at the end, kind of for just kind of those really helpful kind of summary comments, questions. I mean, that's really good stuff. And even your point, Dave, like the goal, the vision is very different. Even the things you pointed at, like the world will view our value based on what we can produce. And so you can only produce this much if you're in this certain role or doing this certain thing. And so if you can't produce those things, your value is diminished. 
But to your point, if the value is displaying the glory of God in Christ, my goodness, there's so much more. It's such a more beautiful picture. So, yes, no, thank you, Dave. Those are great thoughts. And so we'll, again, just for the sake of time, uh, those kind of helpful thoughts, questions, summary things, we'll, we'll try to make sure we touch on as we go. All right, so at the end of the day, so here's a helpful uh, quote here from Elizabeth uh, Elliot that I, I thought was helpful on femininity. Kind of today's point here. Femininity is not a curse. It's not even a triviality. It is a gift, a divine gift to be accepted with both hands and to thank God for. That's the Lord's view of femininity. I thought Elizabeth Elliot really captured that extremely well. She's written a lot on this topic, Elizabeth Elliot, so I would commend her to uh, those that would like to, to read more. So in the end of the day, we want to praise God for His design and embrace the roles, the good roles that God has given us for this end. All right, so uh, point D here, toward an understanding of biblical womanhood. All right, so with this kind of introductory comments made here, what does, at the end of the day, the Bible teach us about womanhood, right? How has God uniquely designed, formed, and instructed women to identify, relate, and live in ways that are distinct from manhood? Because again, that distinctiveness is going to add to the beautiful mosaic and picture of the image of God and His glory. All right, so there's, there's many ways to phrase what it means to be feminine and, and what it means uh, and what womanhood is. Uh, so one way to think about it is to live as a godly woman on, on one level is simply to seek godliness. It's simply to seek godliness. Seek the Lord. When it comes to our Christian discipleship, there is much overlap for women and for men. We are both heirs in Christ. The New Testament only occasionally gives the two genders different instructions from one another. Rather, generally, we are all to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. And so, with all of that said, though, we want to try to have some kind of working picture of how femininity is displayed, can be displayed in the world. And so that's what we have there in your notes. So, biblical femininity is displayed in a gracious disposition to cultivate life to help others flourish and to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular context prescribed by God's Word. So that's one helpful definition when it comes to how biblical femininity is displayed that we want to encourage you guys to consider. And so in other words, God has designed the roles of man and woman to play off one another to fully display His glory, as we just said earlier. Again, that's the goal. That's the vision here. Biblical femininity is most clearly displayed in the way that a woman responds to the pattern God has established in biblical masculinity, and likewise, the opposite is true for biblical masculinity as well. How biblical mas masculinity responds to biblical femininity is a way to most clearly display the glory of God in who He has designed us to be and who we are. And that's a beautiful picture. All right, so Scripture does oftentimes describe femininity, or really sometimes in the context of a marriage relationship. Now, when the Scriptures were written, marriage was a familiar context which, in which the virtues of femininity and masculinity could be best illustrated. This does not, however, mean that a woman has to be married to be feminine, obviously, but we do want to say that. That's not what that means, right? It's not diminishing at all. Right? We can look at Esther, Ruth, Mary Magdalene, just to name a few women from Scripture who are uh, pointed to as pictures of exemplarily strong single women and widows who can teach us much about what it means to follow the Lord. So I just want to point that out to us. So, point B, where does femininity and womanhood ultimately come from? So having this kind of working definition is, is helpful, but we want to try to help it to be meaningful. And so we want to try to go back to the ultimate 
source, which we hope and pray you'll see in God's Word. So number one, femininity reflects God's nature. It reflects God's nature. I mean, think about this. Does God have feminine attributes as described in Scripture? He absolutely does, right? So it's true that Jesus, in His human nature, He was a physical male. Now, it's also true that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always in Scripture, always referred to with the male personal pronoun, He. And so this does teach us that biblically, it's biblically faithful to refer to God as He as opposed to she, and that God delights in revealing Himself using these male metaphors such as father or husband. It helps us get a picture of, of Him and how He relates to us. Now, while we hold these truths, we also want to be sure not to make the mistake of saying that God is fundamentally male at His core, right? John 4.24 says that God is spirit, and as such, He is not gendered as we think of it in the created world. So when we call God the Father, we don't mean that He's a male like human fathers are. Rather, what's being said there is that He relates to us as a human father is supposed to relate to us. What makes bad fatherhood or what makes a father a, a bad picture is, is how far off he is from the picture of how God fathers us, of how God fathers his children. That's what makes that a bad father. So don't let that in, influence the way that we think about God as father, but rather let's think about fatherhood through how we see God father us in Scripture and in our lives. All right, so in the same way, when the Bible speaks of God as a husband, it means that God jealously guards his relationship with his people like a good husband should love and protect his wife. Hosea 2, verses 16 and 19 are great places that talk about God as husband to us. That said, God's revelation of himself does not end with him only using these masculine descriptions of himself. Like we said, he also uses feminine descriptions as well. Now, again, it doesn't mean we should ever call God she or her, he doesn't reveal himself in that way, but he does possess these characteristics that we'll look at that are uniquely imaged by women. All right, so can someone, um, I'm going to have like five verses. We'll look at five things quickly here. So can someone uh, turn to Isaiah 66, 13? Who's got that? Just raise your hand if you got it. Brittany, Isaiah 66, 13. Isaiah 49, 15. Who's got that? Hannah, all right, Isaiah 49, 15. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12. Brett, you got that? And Lucy, you want to do um, Psalm 22, 9 and 10? Thank you. And then last one, Hosea 13, 8. Jerry, you got Hosea 13, 8. All right, <clears throat> so uh, we're gonna, there's many characteristics we can look at, but we're just going to touch on five of these characteristics to give a snapshot of how God is uniquely imaged <clears throat> through women. So number one, God comforts His people like a mother comforts a child. He comforts His people like a mother comforts a child. Go ahead and read Isaiah 66, verse 13. Amen. Second one, <clears throat> God will not forget his children like a mother won't forget her nursing child. Isaiah 49, 15. Amen. All right. Next one here. God likens himself to a mother bird who nurtures and cares for her, for her young. Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12. And interestingly, on this point, Jesus also used the same imagery of himself in Luke 13, verse 34, when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together 
as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. All right, next point, <clears throat> fourth one. God cares for His people like a midwife cares for a newly delivered child. Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. Amen. Isaiah uh, 66, 9 is also another place where that same imagery is used. All right, the fifth one, <clears throat> fifth and final one we'll look at. God has mother bear protection and anger against his enemies. That mother bear protection is no joke, all right? Hosea 13, 8. I will fall upon them like a bear <clears throat> I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, that the wild beasts would rip them open. Amen. I mean, so, so think about this, right? Just, just spend some time thinking in, in your mind here about the attributes God has displayed in these passages alone, right? You see um, attributes of nurturing, comforting, being thoughtful, compassionate, leading in some ways, guiding, caring, protecting, seeking to do good, and relational tenderness. Those are good things that we learn about the Lord that oftentimes are uniquely displayed through women. So when God creates male and female, again, they are said to be in His own image, Genesis 1, 27. And one of the ways this is relevant for us is to understand that, as has been said before, masculine and feminine qualities each uniquely display aspects of God's nature. Uniquely. We need them both. We need them all for everyone to see and the creation to see and understand who God is. So that means that He intentionally created men to reflect particular aspects of his nature, and he intentionally created women to reflect other aspects of his nature. Is there overlap in these attributes and, and the ways that we display this? Absolutely. But there are some qualities that men and women are designed to express in their fullness uniquely, and that's a good thing. Number two, femininity is reflected in the gospel itself. It's reflected in the gospel. Think about one of the uh, illustrations used when we talk about, when Scripture talks about the gospel. It's the relationship of a husband and a wife. Now again, this does not mean that manhood or womanhood is only seen in a marital relationship by any stretch. But it does point to how marriage is designed to uniquely highlight the relational dynamics of husband and wife that reflect the relationship of Jesus and His church. And so as a woman comes under the leadership of her husband, ultimately as an act of worship to God, she portrays the way that the church ultimately should come under the authority and leadership of Jesus, right? Except, of course, a wife's husband is certainly not Jesus, but the praying hope is that as he follows Jesus, that would become a more joyful experience all around. And as a husband lovingly serves and leads his wife, God's character and work is put on display in unique ways. And at the end of the day, God himself is glorified. You talk about adorning the gospel. I mean, if you see a man and a woman treating themselves in the way that God has designed and created, that's beautiful. You can point to people and say, yeah, that's what the gospel does. That's who God is. All right, so more on this in the coming weeks and uh, next week's lessons on roles of men and women in the home and then following that, men, roles of men and women in the church. All right, number three, so womanhood is talked about. It is revealed in the Bible, in the scriptures. So there are examples of ungodly womanhood in Scripture and examples of godly womanhood in the Scripture. And because we all know we're fellow humans here, we know that oftentimes the women in Scripture, just like the men, can fit into both of these camps at different points in time, just like we can as well. And so some examples of ungodly womanhood, at least in the passages that we're going to talk about here, or at least point to, is number one, Eve in Genesis 3. Rather than helping Adam to obey God, 
and say, hey, there's an intruder in the camp here. Instead, Eve tempted Adam to sin. Adam was ultimately responsible for that sin, as we'll talk about. But Eve was not a partner and ally in the battle in that moment. Think of Delilah in Judges 16. Even though Samson, who he was a hot mess himself, even though, by God's grace, he made it to the Hall of Faith in the end, right? God's redemption can work at any point in our life. But Delilah was deceitful, manipulative, and found out Samuel, Samson's weaknesses. And what'd she do with that? Did she help him and strengthen him in that? No, she exploited it and betrayed him for her own gain. Jezebel in 1 Kings 16 to 21, also in 2 Kings 9, boy, she is a picture of being manipulative and even murderous towards God's people, the prophets and Naboth, and even tempted her husband, King Ahab, to idolatry as well. So those are pictures of like, yeah, I don't want to see any of that in my heart and life uh, as a woman. And honestly, even obviously these characteristics, you know, even those sins, uh, even as, as men, but certainly these pictures here of women where we go, Lord, help us, help us to learn and grow, especially for our, the women in our church to instead kind of be more pictures of what we see here in point, be examples of godly womanhood in the scriptures. So one woman that at one point in time, Sarah, could be talked about as a picture of ungodly womanhood, right? In, in certain ways, the way she didn't really trust God and also the way she treated Hagar. But if you look at Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 points to Sarah ultimately as a woman of faith who trusted God ultimately to give her a child. So she was a woman of faith. So faith is one of the pictures we see of godly womanhood and women in Scripture. Rahab, Rahab, who oftentimes is referred to in the Scriptures as Rahab the prostitute, I think for very real reasons, because God can redeem from any place in any label of culture. In Judges 2 and James 2.25, which says that through her faith, she honored the men from Israel and protected them and helped to bring about God's purposes for the nation of Israel. Abigail, I think it's a wonderful picture. Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, we'll come back to her in a little bit, but she remained faithful and rightly honored David and his men and courageously worked to save not just Nabal's life, at least in that moment from being killed by David and his men, but also Nabal's male servants because of Nabal's pride and folly. Esther, we see in her a picture of courage and faith and concern for the needy, in this case, all of her people. Ruth, a picture of faithful, trustworthy. She showed thoughtfulness and devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke 1, a picture of faith, of trusting and believing in God with one of the greatest, I mean, my goodness, one of the greatest calls anyone could ever say is like, hey, by the way, the Messiah is in your womb. I mean, that's, that's some faith right there. That's some faith. And so Mary's a good picture of trusting that God can do even that. And so even at times, the Bible will talk about the church, right? Again, as the bride of Christ, there's times whenever the church is seen as being faithful and obedient to the Lord. That's a picture of godly womanhood as well. All right, so now kind of on the application side, right? Number four, how is femininity expressed? What does this look like? What are some principles and truths of Scripture that we want to help uh, guide us in this conversation discussion? All right, so uh, one thing that I want to say on the front end, right, when we're talking about how femininity is expressed and when we're studying God's creation design, we need to remember that creation is fallen. And so here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. This means that some women may find that feminine tendencies feel less natural to them, right? Just like for men, there might be certain masculine tendencies that just feel less natural to us. And the fall has made it difficult to perceive God's design sometimes, right? We believe that, that sin has impacted every part of our being, our subconscious thoughts, our conscious decisions. So that shouldn't surprise us that there's going to be aspects of manhood and womanhood that are more challenging for us. But here's the goal, right? It's to, to try and live with the grain of the gender God has made you to be 
And for some, that may be relatively straightforward if we've grown up in kind of healthier homes and have healthier pictures of this. But for others, it may require seeking considerable, considerable wisdom for how this is applied for your personality, your context, and your culture. All right, so we need each other's help on this. And it shouldn't surprise us that we need each other's help because this, this is how we begin to image God in any aspect of our lives and how we fight sin in any arena. God's Word, His Spirit, and His people. So Lord, help us here. All right, so one of the, the principles that we can see, though, for how femininity is expressed is, is point A, she walks by faith. So that's the same with masculinity, right? Just how it should be, walk by a person walking by faith and not by sight, ultimately, so is femininity. Now, we're not talking about a perfect faith by any stretch, but it is a genuine faith that sets her apart as trusting God more and more consistently, no matter what the future may hold and no matter what the consequences hold for that, no matter what the culture may say about that. And so, uh, in Hebrews 11, when it talks about Sarah and Rahab, that was two, those are two women that Hebrews 11 points to as being marked by lives of faith in the Lord. And also, we see that in marking the, the woman of wisdom in Proverbs 31, verse 25, in an interesting way, where in that verse it says, she laughs, this woman of wisdom, at the time to come. So in other words, she rightly orders her fears and says, I know that my hope ultimately is guaranteed. My inheritance is set in Christ, and it's sealed for that day of of uh, redemption. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth. That's coming. That's a done deal. And so, Lord, help us to walk faithfully in the midst of a fallen uh, world in fallen bodies. All right, so B, she has gentle beauty of the heart that exceeds external beauty. Gentle beauty of the heart that exceeds external beauty. A couple helpful verses here and passages. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but instead let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For man or woman, a gentle and quiet soul is a soul that trusts in the Lord. He's got me. He's got me. He's going to fight for me. First Peter, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says uh, in a similar way as uh, 1 Peter 3, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, ultimately with good works. Now, uh, now we have to obviously say this about those passages in 1 Timothy in particular. This isn't talking just about the way a woman dresses, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but this has to do ultimately with the disposition of the heart. Why am I why am I putting on these clothes in this way on this day? Is my heart wanting to be showy or seductive or attention-seeking? Or am I being thoughtful for the people that I'll be around and the guarding of the hearts of others and for guarding my own heart, for a woman to guard her own heart as well in how she's dressing and why she's dressing? So motive. Ultimately, what's the disposition of my heart for why I'm dressing the way I'm dressing or not dressing the way I'm not dressing? So these verses aren't saying that you can't wear makeup or do your hair or wear nice clothes. It's certainly not saying that, right? God loves beauty. God is a creator of beauty. And beauty is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just saying ultimately that true beauty and true loveliness does not come from external adornment. So we want to think about the amount of time we spend on our external appearance and the amount of time we spend on that internal heart beauty before the Lord. Lord, search me and know me. Make my heart clean. Help me to live out the fruit of the Spirit in a way that is beautiful as I spend time on basic things like hygiene and grooming and trying to be thoughtful about my clothes. My wife helps me in that way, so praise God for beauty in the world. I didn't know that existed. I thought it was just gray and black clothing all the time, which 
Well, we'll talk about that later. I still think those are great. But my wife's wonderful. She helps me to have things that are a little bit different colors than just those two. All right, so um, also, uh, if you think about um, a gentle spirit, it's, it's ultimately one that is not insistent, first and foremost, on its own rights. My rights ultimately matter. Now, following the Lord ultimately matters. And sometimes that might mean giving up certain rights for the sake of the Lord and trusting Him uh, in that moment. And it doesn't, uh, a gentle and quiet spirit also does not always push our own ideas or demand to have things go our own way. But it's teachable, it's open to correction. So again, this of course does not mean at all that you're never to talk, my goodness, no. But it does mean that you aim to have control over your tongue, thinking about the things that I'm saying and how it can impact the people around me. As the Lord redeems me, as a woman, what are ways that I can use my words to build up and nurture and not tear down and, um, and hurt? All right, so point C here, she courageously influences others for God's purpose. She seeks to courageously influence others for God's purposes. So one of the clear themes in Scripture is that women are not just called to cower in the corner and have no voice or place in furthering God's mission. That's absolutely not the picture that God creates or paints for us in Scripture. Rather, it's the complete opposite. Women are called to help in a way that's similar to being a partner and an ally in bringing about God's purposes and His mission and for His glory in this world. We need women following the Lord. We need men following the Lord at the end of the day for God's glory and the good of His people. And the good of the world. So I'll point to a couple of illustrations here. One, I mentioned Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. I wish we could read the whole passage, but I'll just read a couple verses for us, right? Abigail is a wonderful picture of how she was able to courageously influence others for God's purposes. So Abigail prevented David from avenging himself in cold blood and killing all of Nabal's servants. And she did this using her good judgment, courage, and boldness, and ultimately prevented disaster happening on behalf of Nabal's prideful sin. Hear, hear the words here in 1 Samuel 25, starting in verse 32 of David. This is how King David talked about it. I guess he wasn't ultimately um, at the time. But then David said to Abigail, Praise to the Lord God of Israel who sent you to me today. Your discernment is blessed and you are blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to me, Nabal wouldn't have had any men left by morning light. That's what would have happened. A slaughter would have happened if Abigail wouldn't have acted. And then she trusted the Lord to deal with Nabal, and he, he certainly did. When he heard news of what happened, the Lord ultimately struck him dead in that moment. That doesn't always happen, but <laughs> the Lord, we don't know when he's going to ultimately judge. But we do trust that's a picture of God will take care of evil and wickedness and sin, either through the cross of Jesus Christ or through having to have that eternal punishment come where people have ultimately rejected God forever. All right, uh, another one to point to in Acts 18, 24 to 28, right? When Apollos was preaching in Ephesus, what happened? Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, heard him, so they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Also, Titus 2 is a very helpful um, chapter. It talks about the relationships of different men and women, and it talks in particular about women with other women in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. It says this, Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Think of that goal, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Oh, that's the difference being a Christian makes? That doesn't seem like much difference at all. That the Word of God may not be reviled. 
And so, in other words, women are to be in discipleship relationships with other women, teaching and receiving God's Word and applying it to their specific context and relationships, right? We need each other. We need each other. And also, don't forget that the why for Titus 2, verses 3-5 through 5 comes ultimately from verses 11-14 through 14 of that same chapter. This is what motivates it. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we do what? While we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from what? All lawlessness and to cleanse for Himself a people for His own possession, eager to do good works. These are good works. We've been cleansed. That should make us eager to do it. Shame has been dealt with. Not just the penalty of our sin, but our shame has been covered. Praise God. Lord, help us to live and walk in this. All right, and then uh, letter D here. She has an honoring disposition toward men, an honoring disposition. And so when we examine how the Bible describes a woman's disposition, in particular toward men, we see that ideally this, a woman's heart would be one that's inclined toward respect and honoring men rather than being seductive, controlling, manipulating, emasculating, or tearing them down, especially in front of others, especially in front of others. That can be so emasculating for men when they are torn down by anyone's words, but often in unique ways by a woman's words in front of others. Like it can be very, very difficult, very, very hard. And so we want to instead, how do we, how does a woman's heart try to honor and uplift men, right? Because women were created to help men to be leaders and protectors, even expecting them to do what God calls them to do. God's created you for this. This is to display His glory. Men, you need to grow in this way. Please, how can we help you and how can we help one another? And then men, of course, that similar call is for us with women. How do we help ultimately display God's glory through these relationships? Um, so uh, one way that we can think about this in honoring disposition toward men, right? So some, uh, some women, maybe even in this room, might find themselves in roles at their jobs that put them in positions of authority over men. And so think about then, as a, a woman kind of leading men in the workplace, what is her disposition? What is your disposition and how you're leading these men? Is it one that seems to belittle one or that seeks to instead build up and enable these men to be more fruitful in their work that encourages them in their maleness, in their masculinity in unique ways, right? So, we, so women certainly want to aim to do their job well while also remaining humble and grace-filled as a woman and nurturing men to grow in their jobs without undercutting them and being motivated by pride instead of love for neighbor. As a woman leading a man, hey, how do I lead these men to help kind of nurture them? and help them kind of grow and be cultivated. Yes, Brett? Uh, how is that different than what a man would be? What's that? How is that different than what a man would be? Yeah, so a man's, there's going to be a lot of overlap in like good leadership by a man. So you would help that a man would be understanding and nurture and grow. Um, but there's going to be a way in which, um, let me put it in the negative here. So, um, well, I won't say the negative. Let me say it in the positive. So I've had, you know, a female boss and a male boss. Just even here recently, that's happened and changed. So both bosses, by God's grace, have done that with me. That said, my female boss has really encouraged me in a way where she, I didn't get the sense from her she was trying to be like, you need to respect me now as a man in this role, like just as you would a man. Like, I, I can handle this just like a man could. I'm going to do what he's going to do. I think I understand that heartbeat of, hey, don't look down on me just because I'm a woman. But instead, she really did. She had this unique way of saying like, hey, Danny, so as you lead in your role, like as a man, what, what can it look like? How can I really best uplift and help you in your leadership? And her words just were able to build me up in a unique way than my male boss, even now. Even when it's said in the same way and done in the same way, there's ways in which 
um, that she was able to kind of nurture this leadership in me and my kind of abilities in me that were distinct from how this man kind of led as well. So they should look and feel different. They should look and feel different, even if good leadership at the end of the day is going to be for the sake of others, to build them up and to love them well in their roles. Does that make sense? I know that's probably a little foggy and gray, and I think there's a reason for that. Right. Yeah. I think that the way that she is um, a better leader and able to encourage me, um, I think there's going to be a uniqueness for her as a woman and the way she can encourage me and the way she can kind of help me in my leadership than a man. I need both. We all need both. But I think in that role, um, that's something where we want to say again, as she pursues the Lord, it's going to come out in a way where she's not trying to. Her motive is not like, I want to try to be like a man is in this role and be viewed in this kind of way, but to really say, Lord, this is who you've created me to be, and so how do I kind of nurture and strengthen men in this way? So I want to pause there, and um, yeah, anyone that would want to make a comment on that, I want to be careful because I know that this is kind of the meat of it, and we'll get into how to apply this. I think this is the, this is the grayest area because the Bible says a lot about kind of women and men's roles in the church and in the home. It, it does not say as much about this area, and so I want to be careful in that. But yes, Jerry, something you want to add? Very kind, but yeah. Affirm you in that. Thank you. Uh, to start off. Um, you know, so to amplify some of the things that she said, I think I wanna I wanna point out that for example, I love the story of Abigail. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In that I think it shows even submission to her husband doesn't mean quietly standing by and watching right. this water over time. Doesn't mean silent. Not going to follow you into sin. Amen. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, But so, so I think it is actually really interesting in the way that her initiative um, and her charisma, right? So she appealed to David. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and she was also wise in the way she organized the servants. Amen. Right. She she brought like two hundred rations of food. Yeah. Exactly what it was. Right. That was missing. Right. 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 Yeah. Right? And so, yeah. So she problem solved it as well. Amen. So I think it's a, it's a really good story from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, because I think sometimes the idea of, uh, of you know, femininity sometimes gets cultural mishmash together. It al- you know? always does. Yeah. So it's we need God's word to help with that. Yeah. 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 Amen. Those, those, those sort of things. And so, no, amen. Um, and yeah. I think in the context of the workplace, this is just would be my personal encouragement to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is not 100% biblical per se, but you know, I think in terms of the honoring disposition towards men, my encouragement would be just to say that I think in the world, in the workplace, there's a tendency towards uh, what can be characterized as the war between the genders, mm-hmm. right? That there's a sense of like, you know, there's a conflict. Yeah, right, right. So to speak. right. Not working together, but competing right, right? yeah so whether it's domineering yeah. in one sense yeah or the act of domineering in a different yeah. Sense. yeah 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 so 
I think just as a present reality, just not biblical, it's just a present yeah. reality, I think there's, um, I mean, women have a harder time. Yeah. In, they're, they're going to face more difficulties. You know, I've got two young daughters, so I think they're tired. Well, and the culture is screaming as well. I mean, obviously to men and women, but I think to women in particular yeah, in the so workplace, really it can be very, very hard. Are, are in the yeah. And yeah. It's, it's challenging for them to find that right balance, yeah. right? Because to your point of like, you know, um, they're going to get critiqued for having strong views. Sure. Rightly or wrong. Sure. Obviously wrong. Most yeah. Times, right? And yeah. so, you know, I think part of the stance here in terms of the honoring disposition yep. isn't to say that you have to be submissive to someone who's underneath you just because they are right. male. Right, right, right. But rather to look towards four ways to diffuse yeah. what can naturally arise yeah. as a sense of conflict and peace. Yeah, amen, and the way that God's created you. I think that's really good. Because again, at the end of the day, it's how does a man be a better leader? How does a woman be a better leader? Pursue Christ, go to his word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that. So I think it's really good. I, I think that's, a, I like the way you put that up. It can be viewed as a competition yeah, versus working together. Yeah, right that's good. Yeah. What time are we done here? 10, 15? Yeah. Praise God, we have four minutes. All right. Well, I will, uh, yeah, I'll highlight uh, some of these uh, kind of last pieces that we have here. Um, but great discussion. So really thankful for the comments that have been made here. All right. So point E is that she embraces her God-appointed role. And so, again, we see this in Scripture that God has designed men and women to have differing roles, in particular in the home and in the church. Now, again, we should see that diversity as a beautiful thing that reflects the nature of our Trinitarian triune God. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? They each, think about, think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They each joyfully possess a distinct role in the Godhead, as you hear them talked about in Scripture. And God has created us in His image to do the same, to try to display the beauty of who He is and all His unity, but also diversity as uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is ultimately one God. And so 1 Corinthians 11.3 would, would say it this way. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So again, Ephesians 5.25 and following, if, you're, you know, if this hits you wrongly in 1 Corinthians 11.3, the husband's supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. That's a high call and a high picture. And then a woman is ultimately, a wife is supposed to help her husband to grow in that, to be a partner and an ally. As it says here in point A, she is an ally. Right? I put that there in ally or partner instead of the word helper, not because helper is a bad word, but because in our context, helper can be viewed as like a less than. Right? You're, you're the help. You're the help. But this word, this Hebrew word is there that's used, and you can even, it's a helpful search, easy ER, just on this word helper. Um, the idea has much more a picture of ally and partner in the battle and in the mission. And so this word that we see here in Genesis 2.18 this idea of helper, partner, ally, it's actually um, used of God Himself in several places in Scripture, right? In actually 16 different places, at least um, from you know, what I was able to see there. In fact, God calls Himself our helper in places like Psalm 54, verse 4, Hebrews 13, 6, just to name a few. Christ even calls the Holy Spirit this same word, helper, partner, ally, in John 14, and John 15, and, and even John 16. And so women are created to complement men. Why? Because together we are able to better fulfill the function of our calling, of obeying God's commands and ruling and subduing the earth and being co-heirs in the grace of life, as 1 Peter 3, 7 says.
So a biblical femininity does not express itself in the same way, this is important to say, toward every man or every relationship. That's very important to point out. Right? A woman who is married, for example, will rightly not welcome the same kind of strength and leadership from any other man that she welcomes from her husband. And so women in the church would properly acknowledge a type of authority in the elders that does not apply to other male members of the church. So it's very important. We have to think about this this way, how women and men relate to each other. And so it's a key point that does get complicated as we start to think about how it plays out practically, especially as we just talked about, outside the home and the church in secular society. But in some appropriate form, in all her relationships with men, the hope and prayer is that women, women would seek to affirm and nurture the man's God-given role in nature as a servant leader and her God-given role in nature as, her, as a partner and helper and ally in carrying out this call of the gospel. And so it's true, again, for... Um, no matter what role a woman has, whether it's in military or in a law firm or um, you know, even as a principal of a high school that has male teachers. And again, the Bible is incredibly thin on specifics here when it comes to that cultural application. But I think two helpful uh, things to think about, two helpful principles. Number one is to seek to find the broad biblical truths and principles that are clear in God's Word. How do we see that exemplified in God's Word and in different women in Scripture? And then number two, to be both flexible and gracious as we seek to apply those principles to particular cases with the help of godly men and women in your life. All right, and then we've got, uh, we've got a few more points here. It's already 10-16. What do we do in that moment? Yeah, Eric, thoughts? And, and next week, a lot of this is going to be covered in depth. Wonderful. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, so you're right. So point B will be next week. Point C will be the week after. Uh, I think point S is going to be covered as well. So there you go. All right, well, uh, I will just leave you with a few other resources as well. If For those that want to do further reading, um, a really helpful book is called God's Design for Man and Womanhood by Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger. That's K-O-S-T-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R, but God's Design for Man and Womanhood. The Accidental Feminist by Courtney Resig, R-E-I-S-S-I-G, and then Women in God, Hard Questions, Beautiful Truth by Kathleen Nielsen, N-I-E-L-S-O-N. A lot of great resources there for us. All right, well, let me pray, and uh, we'll wrap up. One and probably, well, now two minutes late, but uh, that's neither here nor there, right, Ben? I mean, I mean, what's two minutes in the Lord's eyes? That's a thousand years. Hopefully it didn't feel like that for you this morning, but let me pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we are grateful for you. Uh, God, thank you that you are the creator, so we can look to you always to want to know who we truly are, Father, we look to you. The more we follow you, the more we will truly become ourselves. And the more that we will truly be able to display the glory of God in our relationships with men, with women, within our church, within our families, within our society at large. God, we thank you for a day when this is not a wrestle. Father, in the new heavens and new earth, we will be so unified. It will be so cleared what maleness and femaleness is and, and could and should be. We're, just, we're not even going to have to have any bandwidth taken up in our brains by that. We're just going to go, look how great God is. And, and this love that I'm overwhelmed by, this unity that I experience and feel, Father, that unity will be greater than the best relationship on earth. So, Lord, help us. We're not there yet. We need your grace. We need your mercies, especially in the day and time we live in. God, help us, help us, help us to walk as redeemed men and women in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.